Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil Mackey. It's the worst thing I do at ESPN. Judd Zolgad. I just want to drink and watch TV. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackey and Judd. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. All right, Dave Harrigan, what do you got for questions? I've got three good questions, Judd. Are you ready to provide three good answers. Well, that depends very much. Let's see if the questions and answers yep. match, shall yep. we? I'm not going to make any guarantees. Uh-uh, Let's won't do start it. with this one. NBA. We've got two series now headed towards a game six. Celtics up 3-2 on the Cavaliers. Rockets up 3-2 on the Warriors. I'm going to give you a sizable amount of money, and you have to put it down on either the Celtics or or the Rockets wow. to finish off their series either in six or seven, but to vanquish their opponent. Who are you putting it on? Wow. Wow. Um, I'm going to put it on the Rockets for two reasons. I don't feel super comfortable with either bet. Like, you're not going to put that money down and feel great about LeBron not hulking up for two games or maybe the greatest collection of talent ever assembled in the NBA hulking up for two games. But when you guys watch the Warriors in these playoffs, doesn't it just feel like something's a little off? Iguodala's been out, and he was a former Finals MVP, so that's definitely a big thing. Their bench just doesn't quite... I mean, they're bringing Nick Young off the bench. Their bench isn't quite what it was a couple years ago. Steph Curry's not the same player because of injuries. There's just something a little bit off and different. Draymond Green, who's Mr. Swiss Army Knife, dribbles a ball off his leg to basically decide the game. That was a very bizarre end of the game last night. Something feels more off about the Warriors, and there just seems to be this fire. If Chris, Chris Paul said he's going to come back for Game 6, there's a fire that you see with the Rockets, and it, and it didn't show up much in Game 1. It's just the series has kind of evolved, and they got beat by 40 in Game, was it game 3. So it's definitely yep. there's definitely a chance that the Warriors could just snap out and and win a game by 30 again, I would feel less comfortable with a group of young players, mostly 20, 21-year-old, 23-year-old young dudes in Boston, closing out LeBron once in Cleveland and then another time in a Game 7. Yeah. I could see any of these four teams winning the championship right now, right? Especially because the two underdog teams are winning three games to two. Like, would it shock you, there's question within questions here, would it shock you if LeBron won the title still? No. I mean, yes. if he, if he no. if he faced Golden State, I would say yes. If LeBron gets to face Houston, yeah, no, I think he has me. a much better chance. Yeah. But Houston's up three games to two. But now Chris Paul being hurt makes that 
an even dicier proposition. Because if he can't play, I mean, well, what if they? What if, if that's a beat, bad hamstring? He he might be done for for six but and. If, but if he, seven. but if let's say they finish off, like, even if he's hurt and they beat the Warriors, and now LeBron gets a hobbled Houston team in the finals, yeah, then he could be, or him. Brad Stevens gets a hobbled team in the finals. Yeah. So, so my choices are, are a sizable amount of cash on the Rockets or the Celtics. Yes, is that what you said? Uh, I'm going to go Celtics. I'm going to go Celtics. Brad Stevens, that team has been. Incredible! They're very well coached. They they feel they feel like a team that has nothing wrong at at all. And I don't. I mean, these four, last four teams, I, I have they, no. They clue. can't win a road game, so that they can't. Be- no, they can't. But I'm but I'm going to go. I'm going to go Celtics. I'm going to say that that with how they they played, if they can. I mean, tonight's dicey. But yeah, I will put I will put a. I don't like either choice, but I will put the sizable amount of cash gun to the head on the Celtics. In what order do you feel, if you had to answer this that same tough. question in terms of the order in which you feel confident they're going to win the championship, how would you answer that question? Um, <laughs> boy. Because you'd say, like, if, if it was all from scratch, you'd probably say Warriors number one and then probably Rockets number two if it was all just from game one. But the fact that the Warriors have to win two just to get to the finals. Yeah. And I still might I put think Golden, like Rockets might be number one. I right still now. might put Golden State one. Man, I still might might do it. But. It should be fun. This will be, it'll be a fun. Great question from all here. sides. Great question. Great question. Some sub questions, questions in there too. Yeah. How are the answers? That was very questionable. Yeah, wow. they were they were fence straddling well, as usual. Do better on this one then. I heard this debated. Uh, not really debated. Just discussed. <laughs> On uh, first and last, the show that's on before Golick and Wingo on our air between three and five a.m. Mike Golick Jr. normally hosts. He was being uh, filled in for. I don't remember who was filling in, uh, but he was talking about Chris Paul's injury, the hamstring. We don't really know what the deal is, and he threw out the hypothetical: say Chris Paul, couple nights is sixty seventy percent. He says, "Coach, I can go, but I'm not going to be Chris Paul, Chris Paul. But I'll, I'll give you everything I can." He says in that case, you absolutely sit him out game six, hoping that he will be healthy enough for game seven. You basically punt on game six and say, let's bring this back to Houston. Hopefully you'll be healthy enough to contribute. Agree or disagree? Completely disagree. Completely. A hamstring, if this, if this was an injury, but which by skipping game six, he could uh, come back in game seven and be fine, then, then I'd do it. But hamstrings, you don't. Chris Paul is going to be hobbled for the rest of these playoffs. And so I do not, I don't punt, if he can play, I don't punt on a chance to win game six because I don't think he comes back in Houston and all of a sudden is magically great. If he can play in game six, if he can hobble around and just be Chris Paul, I play him. I think there's a fighting chance that, that he's done for, for the last two games at least, though. But anyway, He'll if try I try to play, yeah. But if I could play him, I play him in Game Six. I do not think that the break between Game Five and Seven is going to to help him enough that I don't play him in Game Six. I think Judd's onto it here. Uh, I I would play him and I would just try. Maybe I wouldn't play him forty minutes. Maybe he plays twenty eight minutes or something, and you just ride whoever else. I mean, Eric Gordon's already playing a bunch of minutes, but yeah, I think you have to take your shot if you can even just get fifty to sixty percent. Chris Paul twice. That's better than because let's let's say you sit him. And he goes from, these are all just made-up numbers, but he goes from 60% to 80% in the second game. Well, I'd rather have his presence for parts of two games than like hoping that he's 80% for that game seven. 
Uh, although, like the argument for for resting until Game Seven is that you're at home, just just put all your chips in that home game Game Seven basket that you earned by beating the sure. Warriors out in the regular season for I'd that play, number one seed. I play them in six. I, I would too. I play them both. Speaking of Rockets backcourt. James Harden over his last twenty three point attempts. Really, a little bit of a yeah. wilting flower in the postseason. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, Chris, he lost. Chris. Yeah, I know. Meanwhile, Chris Paul is just hitting these hand in face dagger threes from everywhere, getting the shimmy, on. shimmy, 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 <laughs> shimmy, shimmy. What's that song from Coconut something? No. Okay. Let's keep going. Okay, we'll oh. keep going. The qu- I thought that answer was really good until the very end there. Really yeah, took sorry. a nosedive. So. Yeah, uh, this is a multiple question, final question, gentlemen. It is a simply either or Memorial Day weekend barbecue style. All right, I'm going to give you simply two options at your Memorial Day weekend barbecue, and you're going to have to tell me which you prefer. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's start it out with the easy one as you prep the food, gas or charcoal on the grill. Uh, you know what? In terms of taste, charcoal, but in terms of just ease, gas. gas. You have to pick one. You can't gas. say one's better this way. Gas. All right. I'll take gas. Yep. Judd might choose charcoal just because he's afraid that the like gas fire. grill is going to blow fi- up everything. I just don't like fire. So I'll, I'll go gas. But there's fire. Either way. It's a grill. I know. That's what I'm saying. I don't like fire. <laughs> And you have to have fire to grill, so I'll take gas because they both they both scare me. Jed takes option three: brunch. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) How far? Red rabbit. Thank you very much. How far down this I don't like fire path do you go? I don't like to light matches. I don't like fire. I don't enjoy being around fire. Like if it's a. I shouldn't say that. If it's a so, co- someone invites you to a campfire, no, no, and you're no. Gonna... I shouldn't say no, no. As long as I don't have to provide the the matches and start the fire, I'm fine. What would happen I if enjoy you were born a good campfire? What would happen if you were born in like 1820? You would have been in deep trouble. I'd invent new stuff to get around fire, okay. possibly. I don't <laughs> know. Fix it. You know what? I don't know. I, I might. Mean, I just found this thing. It's called a light like, bulb. Yeah, I can't believe a, no one's found this, this is before. Incredible. You guys should have developed this. Anyway, uh, I'm going gas because it's simpler. <laughs> I don't want to light the fire. I don't want to have to. And then you got lighter fluid, which also frightens me. A lot of bad things can happen. All right, brats or burgers? Uh, burgers for me now. I used to be brats. I've switched to burgers. Brats, ten times out of ten. Steak or a pork chop? Pork chop for me. Steak, steak and yeah, I don't... Love pork chops. Steak. Steak. Chicken or ribs? Ribs. Chicken. Pasta salad or a lettuce salad? <laughs> it's not even tough. Uh, could I go Caesar salad in there as part of the... Hey, with the lettuce, yes. Okay, that's fine. I would say I would say probably a Caesar salad. Give yeah. me the whole bucket of pasta salad. I'll just oh boy. dip right into that thing. Potato chips or potato salad? Potato salad. Potato chips. Although, if you're high level, you go potato chips as a boat for your potato salad. Oh, of into course your you mouth. do. But uh, no, I always go. I go potato chips. Yeah, a boy. Potato salad's kind of gross. Cookies or brownies for dessert? Cookies. Yeah, if the cookies are soft, if it's kind of the crunchy cookies, but I, cookies if they're made. And brownies can start way. to melt a little bit more. Cookies. This can is too, no disrespect brownies to brownies at all, or burgers, or pork chops. I'm I not mean, a big brownie guy. As long as you don't I'm, put the nuts in the brownies, we're good. If you start adding like the walnuts, oh, see, I like that's that. garbage. Oh, I like no, that. Don't wreck it. I like that, but that's more of a winter I, it, thing to me. It took me five seconds to interpret that the right way. Oh, grow up. Last one. <laughs> I never even thought of it that way. <laughs> and I'm 12. You always got a crazy uncle. You never know. And I'm 12. Last one. You're at your uh, your barbecue. Everything's. You got your plate of all your favorites that you just named. Sure. One or two really, really good beers. 
Or an endless supply of cheap crap beer. Uh, endless supply of cheap crap beer. <laughs> Describe the environment again. Where am I? Neighborhood barbecue. Friends, family, whatever it is. Just keep them light. I don't want to get bombed after two beers. Yeah. Endless supply. Yeah, if I have to be stuck with people. Keystone or bust. If I have to be stuck with people, yeah, I'm with Phil. Endless supply. <laughs> you guys are so shameless. <laughs> I'm really full Just right keep now. Just keep them coming, Keep them coming. Uh, when we come back, well, Chris Singleton will join us in like 15 minutes, but is it Byron Buxton or Byron Buston? See what I did there? Oh, that was yeah. good. Oh, Mackie wow. and Judd are back after this brief timeout. Let's go. Come on. We're waiting. On 1500 ESPN. Attention. Radio alert. Mackie and Judd now continue on 1500 ESPN. Whatever it takes. And this portion of Mackie and Judd is sponsored by Robert W. Baird and Company. Was on the first pitch. Navarro's throw, not in time. The ball rolls into center, and Buxton will fly to third base, overrun by Shuck, and now they're going to send him home, and Buxton is safe! Buxton tracking this near the wall, and leaping and making the catch. Picked it off the wall for the third out. A drive to left field. It is Jack! It is Jack! Twins uh, fire it back up this weekend. They're still hanging in there. Was it three games below 500 now? Cleveland lost again last night, so they are uh, yeah they are back to 500, and the Twins are right below them. So yeah, the Twins are. Uh, if if you look around at the the wild card team, so Boston 34 and 16. They're oh, just yeah. a game up on the Yankees, who are 31 and 15. So the Yankees are the first wild card. Check out the the American League West right now. Yeah, it's it, everyone except for the Rangers above 500, including Oakland. Oakland's a, a couple games above 500. Yep. So the Twins are a game and a half back, tied in the loss column with Cleveland in their own division. They are four games back of the Mariners in the loss column for that second wild card spot, but. I found an article. Danny Nolber. Danny Nolber used to write. He's from Detroit, I think. Then he used to cover the Tigers, and he's been a he was a baseball right. columnist for CBS Sports for a while. Mm-hmm. Good good baseball columnist, and he talked to a bunch of people for uh, for Bleacher Report, where he writes right now about Byron Buxton. He talked to uh, a bunch of people with the Twins around the league players. He talked to Thad Levine, trying to figure out Byron Buxton. This guy who has all this potential, and he's he's showing you flashes over the past couple of years, and the the gist of the story is nobody is giving up on Boxton, but I couldn't help but notice a trend when reading this article. I know you read the article too, and I'm wondering if you spotted the same trend that I noticed. This is not a rip on Danny Noble. I mean, he was just talking to people about Boxton, and right, and he wrote the story. It's a good story. Uh, Danny talked to eight different people. A thousand plus words, and I counted fifteen mentions of Buxton's speed or athleticism in some form, mm-hmm. and only brief mentions about his offensive abilities or potential. It was deeper in the story, yes. Yeah, like people basically describe him unintentionally as a fourth outfielder, and I'm just going to read you some quotes. Okay, these are quotes from people. I'm not even going to tell you who said the quotes. Just quotes from people in the story about Byron Buxton. He's a gazelle. He runs like a gazelle. He has no fear of the wall. Here's another one. Very similar. 
Buxton runs like a gazelle trying to get away from a lion. I give him props. I rarely give any man props in center field. He's one of the best center fielders I've ever seen. He could probably earn himself a spot in the NBA or the NFL just on his athleticism. It's world-class speed. Here's another one. I'm a huge fan of Byron. He's probably one of my favorite players to watch. He's a freak athlete. And then there's this one. StatCast tells you Buxton's sprint speed of 30 feet per second at 21 miles an hour is the fastest in the majors this season. He also ranked first in that category in 2015 and 16 and second to Victor Robles of the Nationals in 2017. StatCast also tells you his throw to get Trout at home plate last season was clocked at 99 miles an hour. And he's the only player who made the all-StatCast team each of the past two seasons. And these are all great, amazing things. Like, he's super fast, and, we and know, he runs like a gazelle. And we know them all to be true. Athleticism and all Absolutely, these things. He's, yeah. can, he can't hit. Mm-hmm. He can't hit a baseball. And it's frustrating but, to watch, and I'm not giving up on him. In fact, I'd probably double down and buy more stocks than when this it went goes, up. But. Okay, but this go- the frustrating thing about this, well, well, there's about three things. In Sano's case, it's easy to get frustrated, identify the problem, and say he's not improving and he doesn't want to. In Buxton's case, you don't say that. He's an eminently likable kid. He works his ass off, I think. If anything, he thinks too much. But what makes Byron Buxton so intriguing and such a a conundrum is this. Name me the last athlete, the last professional player in a team sport that you've watched where you say to yourself, fundamentally, he appears to be, at least consistently, incapable of doing one of the most important things to have success, and yet you still want him to play? That's a good question. This this is, but the defense, it's not good. It's unbelievable. When he gets on base, when the ball is in play, defenses don't just sort of have problems. They go into blind panics. Can I say James Harden, who plays zero defense in the regular season? But but I'm... (laughs) Just this, the, the but, opposite. But this, but if if you are a national columnist, like in this case, and you parachute in, you are going to be told by all these people there are so many good things here, and and if he could just do this one thing, only this one thing is a massive yeah. part of the job. That's what makes this ordinarily the Byron Buxtons of the world just bust. They just bust. And their defense might be really good, and you're like, okay, that's great, it's good, but it's not good, en- it's not good enough to actually put up with, with the fact that he goes months without being able to hit. But in Buxton's case, two-thirds of what he can do is so intriguing. Yeah. Well, there's another anecdote in this story. Uh, James Rousen, the Twins hitting coach, is quoted in the story. And they went back to, at some point last year, when the front office approached James Rousen and Paul Mahler and said, all right, we got to... We gotta send this guy down. It's just it was it was May or whatever. He's just he can't hit, and you can't have a guy in your lineup that just can't. He, at that point, he couldn't even make contact. He was just, stri- just he was striking out in like fifty percent of his plate appearances. And James Rousen looked Thad Levine in the eye and said, "Over my dead body, we will fix him." Mm-hmm. And Thad said, "When a guy has that much conviction in his eye, you tend to take a step back and say, okay, all right.'" And so they shortened his swing, they quickened things up, and I don't know, like I. This is where like Roy had a good anecdote on our show, was it yesterday, just about how his swing looks long again. So I don't want to get into all the mechanics because I'm not a, an expert on that, but it's uh, if there was a fix for it last year, there should be a fix for it this year, you would think. But I just found it really, really fascinating. All these people 
from Tory Hunter was quoted here, Adam Jones, Kevin Kiermeyer, uh, Eddie Gordado, I think, was quoted in the story. Uh, there was all the uh, Fernando Romero was quoted in the story, and they all just rave about how fast he is and how athletic he is. But those things don't matter as much in baseball as you would think. They just don't. Peter Borges, we were talking about Peter Borges off the air with Matthew Collar. The guy had one big season. He could yeah. sprint foul pole to foul pole and catch anything in the outfield. Couldn't make contact. Billy Hamilton with the Reds. In the minor leagues, that guy would steal 100 bases in seasons. He was a throwback base dealer. Billy Hamilton can't get on base in the major leagues. So, hey, you got world-class speed. It doesn't matter if you can't barrel up a fastball or a breaking ball or identify a pitch. It doesn't matter. And so yet, that's the risk that they run. And yet, if if you could get Sano back and get him hot and get him to look like he had a clue and cared at the plate and started it to hit for power. And you came to me and said, okay, you're at a point now where, where you can either make a commitment to him or trade him. I'd trade him in Buxton in Buxton's case. I'd say, keep going with him. I would too. For I'd sure. say, keep going with him. I'm going to buy more stock now just because, Hey, when everyone's when everyone's selling theirs, I'll take it and I'll ride that part, wave up if he figures it out. But it's part of part time to of go. this part of this depends too on on the fact that if you don't see uh, July first to the end of last year as a complete fluke, there is something there. There's definitely something there, and that doesn't mean this kid's going to be a superstar at the plate. But this all comes back to this question: Can he ever start to consistently? And I'm talking about just for a season. He, and he doesn't have to be a, a star. But can he ever start to consistently get the ball in play? Because mm-hmm. if he can, he's a nightmare for sure. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a math game almost. I mean, if he can just get the ball in play and it's not infield pop ups, and uh, and just find a way to hit two fifty. But I mean, could... if we're talking about a player right now who there who there is an innate feeling that that the way he's going at the plate is is to try and increase or get power, then I say forget it. Forget the power. If he never hits more than five home runs in a season, I don't care. I'm never you're never gonna look back at the end of this kid's career and say the power didn't come. Well I would take his two thousand seventeen season every time where he hits in the teens for home runs, he hits like two forty for an average, gets on base a little bit, steals a bunch of bases. I would take that. He actually got three MVP votes, not number one first place votes, but he he finished 18th on the MVP ballot, uh, ballot just basically in a half season. Breaking news. The Rockets must have been listening to uh, Dave's question segment. Rockets medical update. The Houston Rockets announced today that guard Chris Paul will miss Saturday's game at Golden State with a right hamstring strain that occurred during the fourth quarter of last night's game against the Warriors. He'll be reevaluated after the team returns to Houston. So that means they're either being cautious and going all in for Game 7, or it means that he's done for the series. He's done for the series. And what, that would be In which case, they're probably shame. done for the series. Man. I don't think they beat them. Well, this is, they're almost, if he doesn't play, it's going to be really hard for them to win two games, or to win a game out of the two. But if there is a team and a system that could just get white hot from three, all right, James Harden, Eric Gordon, you guys are going to handle the ball. And Trevor, we need Trevor Ariza and P.J. Tucker, and James Harden's going to have to knock down a three for the first say, time yeah. in three games. But if there is a system and a team that could just get crazy hot from three-point range, it would be this system and this team. And continue to play great defense? Yep, it would be. Well, Chris Paul is a big part of that great right. defense. That's a problem. But uh, let's talk to Chris Singleton when we come back about baseball innovation, we can get more of his thoughts. I know he's he's shared thoughts on Byron Buxton before. We can talk about um, 
the Buxton story we were just diving into here. And then later on, a scoop with Doogie. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. Hang on a second. On 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. There's a touch of madness around here. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins now. With former player turned ESPN baseball analyst Chris Singleton. All right, so Judd, you saw this on Twitter. Get Chris Singleton in here from ESPN, ESPN Radio, that the Tampa Bay Rays are going to go Sergio Romo again to start a couple games against Baltimore this weekend. And then another reliever, too. all three games, yes. Yeah. They're going to start. So guys. Let, I'd like to get Chris Singleton's thoughts on this because this is, and obviously, if you had if you had five Blake Snells, you would just start Blake Snell every game, but... If you don't, and if you're a lower-budget team and you're looking for creative ways to get an edge, the Rays have said, you know what? We're going to put a right-handed reliever against three right-handed batters, the Angels, last week, Mike Trout included, and get the tough part of the lineup out and then bring in uh, you know, an inferior pitcher or, or a, a mid-to-bottom rotation starter. What do you think about this strategy? Well, I can say that since I'm retired, like I kind of like it. I kind of... Um, you know, with all the numbers that we're factoring in and looking at different ways to, to move through a ball game, I, I kind of like it. Now, I would hate it if I was still playing and because as a, as a player and as a hitter, you're looking at your game plan of, all right, I'm going to get to see this starter, you know, two, three times. I'm building a plan. I'm going to watch what he's doing against the guys that hit in front of me and behind me, and we're going to get to him. Uh, you start a reliever like that who's coming in with some just funky, awkward stuff, um, it, it throws everything off kilter. And, you know, baseball players are, are creatures of habit. And so uh, I think when you can throw a wrench in it and effectively accomplish what teams like the Rays are trying to accomplish, and that's their starter having to go through that lineup, you know, three times, um, they, they've been, you know, a team that's been out front in that way outside of Chris Archer or perhaps a Blake Snell, you know, guys aren't facing, you know, line up the third time. So uh, I kind of like seeing how, what the outcome is going to be. I think it's, you know, in an age where we're doing a lot of different things, just shifting and, um, you know, working bullpens the way that we are. I'm like, Hey, let's give it a shot. Let's just see. It's not going to work for every team. Right. And uh, that's for sure. But I, I think it's an interesting concept. Do, do you see this starting a trend, Chris, with more and more yeah, teams? Yeah, I think for I think for some teams again, it it has to fit with you know what your your personnel is and, and your staff and the way that you're set up. There are some teams that you know no, that that's not going to work. They got a, a really good starting rotation. Their guys can go deep. They're not afraid of going through the order you know three times. In fact, some of their starters in the front end are pushing for four times um, through. So yeah, I think like anything, it's not going to apply to everyone, mm-hmm. but. If it does apply to a team and it seems to work, like don't judge them for it. Let let them you know work the best they can within the roster that they have. So as we we potentially go down paths like this, what at what point in time? How soon can we clean up, change, or or alter the pitcher win? Because it does seem to me that that is, and I I love that this sport, and I'm a traditionalist in some ways, but it does seem to me that the pitcher win is going to have to be redefined at some point, and it's probably going to have to be fairly soon. Don't you think? Yeah, I agree with you. It's a great point uh, because it is even without you know the starting the reliever. Yeah, I'll tell you a quick story that I thought was cool. Even off of the whole starting the reliever, uh, it had to be seven years ago. Now it was a uh, Cardinals Reds game on a Sunday night. We were doing it on ESPN, 
and rain was coming in. And um, so, you know, Tony La Russa opted to start one of his back-end relievers because he knew that, hey, we'll get maybe one inning, inning plus in before the rain comes. I don't want to burn my starter. And it was just genius. And so I think back then getting a glimpse of how you could utilize based on the conditions that reliever um, and it, it didn't work real well for Tony Russo and I, Dusty Baker wasn't real happy about it on the other side. Uh, but to your point, yeah, the win um, and even the way that you value outs later on, you know, the save. You're looking at okay, save ball game, but what if the the, the, the toughest part of the order comes up in the eighth inning? and you got your eighth-inning guy in there, or you decide to use your closer, and he's going through, you know, a Trout, a Simmons, uh, you know, Otani, whatever, uh, to get those final or, or those big outs, how much are we going to weight that? And I think based on the sabermetrics, based on the different usages, there are, uh, you know, aspects that are going to have to be reevaluated, and I'm with you that the W is going to, going to be something as well. Chris, you've just hit on one of my favorite and biggest pet peeves, and it's going away now, but this was this was still a thing for almost every team up until five or ten years ago, where you'd always save your, your especially on the road, especially, because at home, obviously, if you go to extra innings, then uh, like there's not going to be a save for the home team, but where managers would save their best reliever, their closer, for that save situation that oftentimes would never come. And so you'd have the 14th inning roll around, and your best reliever is still sitting there waiting for a save situation, and you put your seventh reliever on the mound to get shelled. Um, so I'm glad that teams are taking the approach of use your best pitchers in situations, like you just said, where the opposing team has, uh, has the advantage with a Mike Trout or somebody at the point. Yeah, I remember a few years back when the Braves, I think they lost to the Dodgers in the playoffs, and Craig Kimbrell was standing in the bullpen Yes, um, at the time. We did the playoff game a couple of years ago, uh, Blue Jays, Orioles, and Zach Britton standing in the bullpen, um, and the Orioles lose it. You know, I think it was uh, Edwin Encarnacion hit a homer, something like that, walked it off. Um, but, yeah, you can have those situations. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was a Reds-Cubs game on a Sunday night, extra innings, just like you're talking about. And Aroldis Chapman is being saved out. He's being saved in the bullpen for a save uh, opportunity, and it never came. And Brian Price and the Reds, they lost the game, and they lost with their best pitcher down in the bullpen, you know, waiting to come in. Yeah, and then one more thing on this, too. I think if, if you could just create optimal strategy, and this is where you see it more often in the playoffs, where you'll have a shorter leash on a starting pitcher. Uh, we saw that in the Twins-Yankees one-game wild card where Severino just got hooked in the first inning and then they rolled out their, their flamethrowing relievers. If you have like a number four starter with a four ERA and a collective bullpen ERA of, let's say, 330 or three and a half, the math tells you that your bullpen has a better chance to, to hold the opposing team to fewer runs over the course of that three hours. The question is, can you repeat that strategy day after day for 162 games or do you have to yeah. just like do you, like what's the what's the number of starters you have to have before you can start getting into the bullpenning strategy as Brian Kenny would call it? Yeah, that that's a it's a it's a good perspective and I don't know that over the course of 162 how how effective that's going to be cuz now you're talking about managing off days, yeah. back-to-back days. It, it 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 makes for a lot more work for the manager, I think. Um I love it when you get in the playoffs because it's a sprint to the finish line and, uh, you know, managers are deploying relievers a lot earlier and in different situations and they're piggybacking perhaps starters like we saw with McCullers and, and Morton. Um, 
but over the course of an entire season, I, I'm real. I'm still curious to see how that will play out. But again, it's going to come down to it won't be across the board all 30 teams. It's going to be a select um, number of, of teams that have that kind of personnel and they have the the fluidity, if you will, from AAA to the big leagues to kind of mix some arms in when they're going to need them um, in a tough spot here and there. And then also not having enough established guys, if you will, at the big league level that can't be sent down to AAA if they need to for a week or whatever because the way that uh, the bullpen was used and the extent of, of that work. Chris, in your mind, is Cleveland going to be absolutely fine and, and run away with this division, or is this division going to remain uh, basically one that is is not good and is going you know going to go down to the wire with Cleveland and, say, the Twins com- competing for it, do you think? Yeah, it's a weird division. This is, it is. It really is. And and having the Indians last weekend and talking to some of their coaches and people, and it's obvious they are very aware of uh, the struggles of their bullpen. And there's some consternation there for Terry Francona, which he has not had uh, in a few years uh, with how deep their bullpen has been. But the biggest name that they miss is is Brian Shaw down there, and and they feel it on a nightly basis. So uh, there are concerns there. Uh, obviously, everyone has the ability to improve their team um, as we move through the summer. And without question, you know, Cleveland's going to have to do that in the bullpen. Um, and if they do and, and you know, certain players start to, to pan out and have the seasons they're supposed to have, um, I think that they'll comfortably win the division. I don't see them running away like they did you know, last year and going on the whatever 23-game winning streak, whatever it was. Um, but they're fortunate. And kind of like the Arizona Diamondbacks right now, I mean – Diamondbacks have not been playing well at all, but they're fortunate. They, the Dodgers, for the most part, have struggled with injuries and have not performed. But um, if it weren't for the type of year that it was for the, the division, those front runners would be sitting at the middle of the pack or at the bottom. Yeah, uh, Chris Singleton, our Friday guest, where we talk baseball, talk some twins. I know we've talked about Byron Buxton on this show with you. Are you being attacked by a poodle right now, by the way? Uh, I'm sorry, say that again. Are you, are you being attacked by a schnauzer or a poodle? Uh, there's a mom with her kids, and um, she's barking. I don't know why. I'm downtown Chicago, right uh, in the heart. Is the mom is the mom barking or the dog? I think the mom was barking. I don't know what she was doing, but um, she doesn't realize I'm on a big time interview right now. Clearly, so yes, yes. This is yeah. big market stuff. Um, yeah, we've talked about Buxton with you, and I guess my question is, what do you think his absolute upside is? At this point, like he's hitting a buck seventy-five right now, and and he's starting to put the ball in play a little bit more. But what if he if he reaches whatever his current upside is? Is there a player comp? Like what what's the best that can happen with Buxton right now? Well, the best like the best that can happen with him is that he gets you know his his offensive game on like he had it last year for a good part, and it helps the team propel and win games because. It's really not about the individual season at this point. It's it's still a little early, but you're getting to the point now where your focus has to just completely turn to, okay, I go to improve and perform so that I can help my team win. And, and we we got a chance to win this division because the team in front of us um, isn't, isn't a dominating team. So I think if you just throw out, perhaps, the first two months of the season, forget about individual, and if Byron Buxton starts to perform – like he's capable, the biggest thing is that W in helping the Twins get more of them. So 
that's how I would look at it is, is instead of trying to say, okay, what kind of 2018 is Byron Bucks going to have statistically across the board? No, let's just look at the next four months, what he's going to be able to do, or three months, what he's going to be able to do at the right time to help this team win um, perhaps this division. And I remember when I was at the Orioles, there was one year, my first year, I traded over from the White Sox. And, I mean, we were like a month, month and a half in. And I remember uh, standing in the on-deck circle in Tampa, and when they called me, you know, announced my name, I was going up to hit, and I looked at the scoreboard and saw my batting average. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, it was like 067 or something. And all of a sudden, I just kind of let it die and said, okay, it's not about my individual season. I just got to try to perform and help my team win games, and maybe we can, you know, find our way to the playoffs. And, you know, from the rest of the year, I, I hit over 300. I, I finished at like 260-something, you know, after a month or a month and a half of, of being around 100. So, um, but the big thing is, I think, looking at the bigger picture. And he's a, he's a great player, and he could turn it on. I mean, it could be the last two months of the season, and if – the Twins are in striking distance, and he turns it on and gets it going. You get a wild card or maybe the division. Who knows? I think that's the way you have to look at it. Right on. Great stuff. Enjoy Chicago, Chris. Thanks, Chris. All right, guys. Thanks. Have a great weekend. All right. Chris Singleton, uh, He's uh, he's been a just a great guest for the Fridays, talking Twins, talking baseball. Let's come back. There's a couple things he said we can uh, we can recap, and then Doogie with a scoop in the noon hour. Mackey and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studio. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. I want to say thanks for uh, being one of the local radio stations that's been brutally honest. But you guys have been in it from the ground floor, which is great. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Get your Independence Day off to a running start with the red, white, and boom. TC, half marathon, relay, and 5K July 4th. Come out to Boom Island Park for this Twin Cities summer tradition and get your run and first picnic of the holiday under the belt. If you're at the lake or out of town, that's no problem. You can run the virtual red, white, and boom wherever you are at. For more details and to register, visit 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Thank you, Dave. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. I'm kind of all in on this bullpenning idea. Brian Kenny from MLB Network is pushing the hashtag bullpenning on Twitter, and he's been doing it for like a year or two. I don't think it, you you have to have, well, let me phrase this. I was going to say starting pitchers. The Rays have starting pitchers who just aren't starting. They're just like starting in the second inning and pitching five innings that way. Yep. And, uh, and, and, and a great example would be if there's an opposing lineup that likes to stack right-handed hitters, Mike Trout and whatever, one, two, and three, mm-hmm. but you have a really good left-handed starting pitcher, could you throw a right-handed flame-throwing reliever at those guys in the first inning just to give you better, an even better chance of retiring the side? And that's what the Rays did. And then bring your starting pitcher in, quote-unquote, to face the lesser hitters. So it's not going to be bad hitters because they're number four, five, six hitters or five, six, seven hitters, depending on if a guy gets on base. But then that guy could go two or three times through the order. Now he's into the sixth, the seventh inning, and now you come back with another reliever. I just like that the Rays are looking at this saying, okay, Blake Snell, you're going to start in the first inning, and you're going to go because you're awesome. And Chris Archer, you're going to start in the first inning, you're going to go. Mm-hmm. But for these other slots that we're not super confident in, we're going to get more creative. We're going to view this as a nine-inning block, and we have to fill the nine innings with arms. What's the best way to fill the nine innings with arms? So this and they're weekend, they're, they're going to start Sergio Romo on Friday and Sunday and uh, Ryan Stanek Saturday. Okay. And these guys are each going to pitch an inning, maybe two tops, and be done. 
But this is why, to, to go back to the point that you've been t- talking about for quite some time, this is why you're going to have to do something, including abolish the win. Because it's no longer a situation... I'm, I've at, been fine with that for 10 years. Yeah, and, but at it's least... Rid- it's but, a ridiculous stat. And at least there was a time where everything was comparable. All teams basically had the, the same philosophies. Mm-hmm. Now they don't. So you're going... If baseball doesn't sit down and say we're either going to have to rethink this completely or just get rid of the of the statistic itself, which would be fine now, but this notion that that you know you gotta you gotta start and go five, or if you don't, then it's just silly now. Well, so why just do abolish we, it? Why do we feel the need to put a team stat on top of a pitcher's head? We don't do that with hitters. So if uh, if if Mike Trout goes four for four with three bombs, does he get a win? No, he just goes four for four with right. three bombs, right? Yes. So why can't pitchers just be judged on their individual accomplishments? Hey, I went seven innings. Happened to be that I started in the second inning and then went through the eighth. I went seven innings today, and now that guy would still get the win because he pitched the majority of the innings. Correct. But, but like, who, why do we have to attach a team stat to an individual player? I have That's no idea. my question. I don't know. And I get, I get that we did it. It's just a classic. Well, it's the way we've always done it. We did it back in the early 1900s, and Cy Young has 500 of them. Right. Well, so what are we going to do with it? I don't know. Get rid of it. Well, and the save too is weird now, because the save, the save is defined of you have to finish the game. But to Singleton's point, you know, if you have a guy that comes in and pitches in the seventh and gets the key outs. So he gets a hold, which isn't seen as as being as prestigious as a save. Mm-hmm. You could, when, when it comes to wins and saves, you could rethink them completely to the point of abolishing them as as they currently stand. And you could get rid of wins, and the save could go to the guy that actually comes in and shuts the door in the seventh yes. inning. And here's what's amazing. Well, don't even have a save. Sure. Just but be I'm comfortable just... with a guy coming in the seventh inning. The, the amazing thing is the save and the win are these arbitrary individual measurements that are really, if you got rid of them, the game, the game wouldn't be different. But but managers have actually, for the last thirty years, and for for wins for a hundred years, have managed to a meaningless, yes. arbitrary stat. Yes, they have. Think Which about, is why I got I got to go five. Yes. Think about how many times you've seen a pitcher on the ropes with like two outs in the fifth inning, a hundred ten pitches, and he's just sweating. Kyle Gibson, mm-hmm. and the bases are loaded, and he's got nothing, mm-hmm. and it's a three one count. No, but he's, if he just gets that he's one more out, he can fifth. qualify for the win, even though his team is down four to one. Rather than okay, this guy's on the ropes. Let's get someone the, in here with a fresh arm. And the can, pro- and the problem there is what the old school baseball people all say: you got to go deeper, son. You got you got to get into the sixth. You got to get into the seventh. And there is value in eating. This is one of my uh, least favorite guardiasms back in the day, where Guardy would praise guys for just eating innings. Well, Kevin Correa and Terry Ryan would do this too. Kevin Correa is an innings eater, or Jason Marquis is an innings eater. Well, eating eating innings is great. Let's say you have twelve hundred innings or whatever it is, or I don't know how many how many innings, sixteen hundred innings over the course of a season, fifteen hundred, I think it is. So you get one thousand five hundred innings over the course of a season. Do you want a guy to eat three hundred of them who sucks? Right, Kevin Correa. No, your goal is to max out the fifteen hundred innings with as many good innings and performances. Got, a as guy possible. like Pavano did a good job, right? Because Pavano was a, he was per- a quality he, he was a steady quality guy. But yeah, if your choices are we're sending Pelf out there on Wednesday and Correa mm-hmm. on Thursday, and they're both going to get absolutely hammered, but damn it, we're going to get we're going to get a combined fourteen from them. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help you. 
Well, he went out there and gave us, he, he saved the bullpen by giving up five runs in the six innings. I'd rather not save the bullpen. I'd rather just put the bullpen out there and, <laughs> yes. and save your, if you have to have of, uh, on a 12 or 13 man staff, if you have to have a couple guys who just aren't that good, then don't pitch them for 200 innings. Mm-hmm. That's the moral of the story. Uh, Doogie with a scoop in the noon hour, unless his car, he's got some car issues today. We'll see. I think he's going to be here. I, I think he's, he's a warrior. He's a scoop warrior. Yeah, he wouldn't miss. He wouldn't miss this day. There's some reckless wolves speculation. All these wolves guys, like Doogie, national guys, are all offended that the aggregators are taking their wolves reckless speculation and blasting it throughout the internet. Doogie should embrace that. Well, Doogie got Doogie got Bleacher Report took something he said on our show a few months ago. The Wiggins thing, yeah, whispering was, to teammates. It was fantastic. I think Doogie might be a little aggregator gun shy, but it that's help, okay. It helps the brand. It helps the Doogie brand. So that'll happen in the noon hour. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios and open phone lines two six five one six four six eight two five five eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Yes, on fifteen hundred ESPN.